in History, the bite-sized birthday biography podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive lasting impact. Today, October 22nd, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of Robert Kappa. He was born on this day in 1913. This guy was a tough one for me. On one hand, he was one of the best, allegedly, and we will talk about that in a second, One of the best, if not the best, war photojournalist in history. He was the only professional photographer at Omaha Beach on D-Day. His work covered five different wars. And as a Hungarian during World War II, he was the Allies' only enemy ally photographer, for which he got the Medal of Freedom from Eisenhower. And he was buddies with Hemingway and Steinbeck. Like, How cool is that? Yet there was controversy about authenticity and accuracy in reporting surrounding his most iconic works, Falling Soldier and The Magnificent Eleven. Opinion is split about the authenticity of one and the accuracy of reporting on the other, respectively. There have not been any definitive conclusions reached, and as that is the case, I feel that we owe Robert the benefit of the doubt, as well as a podcast episode. So join me as we learn about, possibly, the world's best photojournalist, Robert Kappa. So Robert Kappa was born Andre Erno Friedman in Budapest, and at this time, Budapest was in Austria-Hungary. He was the middle of three boys. His parents, Juliana and Dezo, were middle-class Jews. Mom was Slovakian and dad was Romanian. Mom was a successful fashion maven and dad was a tailor in her shop. At the age of 18, he was accused of having communist sympathies, so he fled the country. If being thought a communist in Hungary wasn't bad enough, this Jewish teenager chose to flee to Berlin in 1930. He enrolled at Berlin University studying journalism and poli-sci while eking out a living as a darkroom assistant before getting a staff photographer position for a German photo agency called Depot. His first photo to be published was one of Russian revolutionary and author Leon Trotsky in 1932, giving a speech on the Russian Revolution in Copenhagen. By 1933, the Nazi party was in full swing, so Robert wisely decided to move to Paris. While in Paris, he met, fell in love with, and began to work alongside of Gerda Taro, nee Gerda Porofil, a German Jew who had fled Nazi Germany as well. Gerda was an incredible photographer, and the two of them began to work under the name Robert Kappa to avoid the Jewish persecution that was rampant at that time. The word Kappa, which means shark in Hungarian, was the name of the street in Budapest that Robert had grown up on. And Robert was just about the least Jewish name they could think of. So Robert proposes to Gerda. She says no. She says that she wants them to just stay lovers and to focus on their careers together. Back then, a yes to marriage usually meant a yes to kids and domesticity and a life of housewiving. And even though it sounds like Gerda was not that traditional, and Robert probably wasn't either, it makes sense that she'd want to ensure that her freedom remained untainted and her ability to focus on her work was not marred by things like kids or setting up a house. In 1936, the Spanish Civil War began, and both Robert and Gerda moved to Spain to cover it. They first went to work in Barcelona, then they moved to Aragon, always working together and both publishing under the name Robert Kappa. Hiding their Jewish heritage and Gerda's gender allowed their photos to be published in well-known magazines across the continent, including the French Vue and the Swiss Zürcher Institut. 
Today, since all their photos from this era are published under the same name, it would be very difficult to tell them apart, but thankfully, their individual cameras solve that mystery. If it's a square photo, it's a Gerda photo, since she used a Rolex camera. And if the photos are rectangular, they are Robert's because he used a contacts camera. There was a brief time in 1937, though, when their photos were the same shape, though, and some photographic historians have had a hard time deciding who actually took those photos. So Goethe became heavily involved with the anti-fascist movement, and she buddied it up with George Orwell and Ernest Hemingway. In July of 1937, Goethe begins to cover the brunette region by Madrid for Sissoir magazine. On July 25th, as the Republican army was retreating, Goethe, not wanting to miss out on a good shot, jumps onto the running board of Soviet General Walter's car, which was filled with wounded soldiers. Suddenly, a tank smashes into the side of the car where Goethe was. Her injuries were catastrophic, and she died the next day. Heralded as an anti-fascist martyr, her French communist comrades gave her a parade in her honor, and she was buried in the famous Père Lachaise Cemetery. It was during the Spanish Civil War that Robert took what is arguably the most widely known photo, the falling soldier. This notorious shot captures the moment a Republican soldier was struck by a bullet falling backwards. Officially titled Loyalist Militia Man at the Moment of Death, Cerro Moranio, September 5th, 1936, it's one of the most iconic war photographs ever taken. Yet we have to talk about it, actually, for a bit. So this photo is taken. It is published in magazines and papers throughout Europe and America, including Life magazine. And everyone says this is one of the best, if not the best, war photo ever. A decade after the shot, Kappa would talk about how he captured the photo on the radio show, saying, I was there in the trench with about 20 milicianos. I just kind of put my camera above my head and didn't even look, and I clicked the picture when they moved over the trench. And that was all. The camera, which I held above my head, just caught a man at the moment when he was shot. That was probably the best picture I ever took. I never saw the picture in the frame because the camera was far above my head. But then in 1975, historians began to question the authenticity of the shot. It wasn't an uncommon practice for photos to be staged, as photographers' access in war zones was very limited. But Kappa had insisted that he had captured this moment by holding the camera above his head while he was in a trench. And if that's the case, it was perfect timing. And as there was no way to stage an assassination, if it was staged, it would mean that the guy wasn't actually shot, but he was just faking it, rendering the whole photo a rather insulting lie to all the men who did actually die. This claim of inauthenticity was uh, doubled down on in a 2007 documentary called La Sombra del Iceberg. Then in 2009, a book called Sombras de la Fotografia, or Shadows of Photography, by José Manuel Susperugi, he makes the claim in this book that this photo was not taken at Cerro Moranio, as Kappa claimed, but just outside the town of Espejo. And normally a mistake in, in a town wouldn't be a big deal, but at the time of the photo, Cerro Moranio was where the battle was happening, not Espejo. So if it was in fact taken in Espejo, and Cesperugi spoke with Spanish historians about the landscape, and they are the ones that said it looked like Espejo, not Cerro Moranio. If it was taken in Espejo, where there was no fighting, it would have been staged, and the man in the photo was not actually being shot. And that's no small thing to accuse a war photographer of, right, of faking the death of a soldier to get a good shot. 
Now, this may not be true, though. This was Sesporogi's interpretation of what he believes happened. Willis E. Hartshorn, director of the International Center of Photography, countered saying that while the photo may have been staged, the killing wasn't. He believes the soldier was posing for Kappa, but that he was struck by a sniper as the photo was taken. Sesporugi then shot back <clears throat> that there was no documented use of snipers during the war. And who the soldier even was is also up for debate. It was purported to be Frederico Barol Garcia, but when compared to other photos of Garcia, there is no physical similarity. And this isn't entirely an anomaly, though, as countless nameless men have been photographed in war, both living and dead. In 2007, a large cardboard box was discovered in Mexico. Upon opening it, it was found to contain 4,500 35 millimeter negatives of the Spanish Civil War, captured by Robert Gerda and another photographer named David Seymour. This Mexican suitcase, as it was dubbed in the media, was shipped to the International Center of Photography in New York. The falling soldier negative was not in the box, but there is a print of it at the Met. So was this a staged photo or not? The author of This is War, Robert Kappa at Work, Richard Wellen, who spent two decades researching this, put it best when he said, it is neither a photograph of a man pretending to be shot, nor an image made during what we would normally consider the heat of battle. So Robert spent uh, much of the rest of the war traveling with Ernest Hemingway, photographing what would become For Whom the Bell Tolls. At the end of the Spanish Civil War, it had become unsafe for Robert to return to living in Paris, so he moved to New York City. However, he ended up spending most of his time in Europe on assignment, first for Collier's and then for Life magazine. As the only enemy ally photographer, Robert was allowed into places and given access to things that most others were not. He was in Naples on October 7th, 1943, for Life magazine, when the Naples Post Office was bombed, making him the only professional photographer to capture that. Having sufficiently grieved the loss of Gerda, Robert moved on to a romance with a woman named Elaine Justin. So Wikipedia lists her as being married to a British actor named John Justin, but she's not actually listed in any of Justin's three wife spaces. So she may have been married, but probably not to him. Their romance fizzled, and Robert then stepped his game way up into the stratosphere by beginning a toured romance in 1943 with Ingrid Bergman, who was touring Europe after starring in the film version of the book that Hemingway wrote alongside Kappa, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Robert and Ingrid would remain lovers for the next three years, and in 1945, he even moved to Hollywood to be with her, but they broke up in 1946 when he went on a trip to Turkey. I'm not really sure of the logistics of all that, since she was married to Dennis Peter Lindstrom the whole time, but I guess some women are just really good at multitasking. Back to World War II. So some of Kappa's most iconic work was on D-Day, where he had the dark honor of being the only non-civilian photographer on Omaha Beach. And it was here that he captured a series of photos known as the Magnificent Eleven. These iconic photos, like his other most iconic photos, would also be subject to some controversy. So these 11 photos captured by Kappa as he came ashore on one of the earliest waves with the 16th Infantry Regiment, aka the Big Red One, on the same vessel with the regiment's head, Colonel George Taylor. He had two contacts, two cameras with 50 millimeter lenses on him, and with them he captured some very harrowing, iconic, slightly blurry, action-packed snaps of the invasion. And shortly after the regiment landed, Kappa was headed back to London to meet his Life magazine deadline for these photos. 
The controversy surrounding these photos was not if they were staged, they were clearly not, but how many were taken. According to Kappa, he took 106 photos, which were then rushed from France across the channel back to England for processing. There, an assistant, either a guy named Dennis Banks or future photographer Larry Burroughs, most famous for his coverage of the Vietnam War, set the dryer in the darkroom too high, melting three and a half of the four rolls of film. The problem with that story, as it turns out, is that for obvious reasons, the temperature that a photo dryer can go up to would never be high enough to actually melt negatives. There were also some murmurs about whether or not Kappa was actually under heavy fire, as the German presence where he landed was fairly light. When exactly he got to the beach, how many hours he stayed, all these questions are just kind of floating around. To me, this seems to be unnecessarily nitpicky. How can you say to someone, oh, there were only a hundred Nazis shooting at you? That's nothing, crybaby. You really expect him also to stay there a whole day armed with only a camera? Like, just overall, there was so much peanut gallery chatter from people who had never been under enemy fire. So we're going to ignore these snide asides about the quantity of bullets being fired at you necessitated to justify stress and focus on the amount of photos that he actually took. So... Given that it is unlikely that the photo negatives melted, Kappa may have been scrambling to explain why he only got 11 photos of one of the most iconic moments of World War II. There is a theory that some of the film got water damaged and he didn't want to admit to such an amateur mistake. It's also possible that he may have froze. I mean, this seems less likely given his line of work, but again, this was his first time on the front of an invasion. Whatever the reason, though, there were only 11 surviving images from his time on the Omaha Beach invasion. The June 19, 1944 issue of Life, entitled Beachheads of Normandy, carried these photos, and the blurriness of the photos was explained as being due to Robert's nervous, shaky hands, which he denied, saying, The empty camera trembled in my hands. I'm not sure how a camera trembles by itself, but let's allow the guy to save face here. So for the remainder of 1944 and most of 1945, Robert moved through Europe photographing as he went. On August 16th, 1944, he captured another famous photo called the Shaved Woman of Chartres. This photo became the symbol of Epitration Sauvage, or the Wild Purge, which was this brutal wave of retaliation against women in France who had slept with, born children with, or worked with the Nazis. This photo that Kappa took is of a 23-year-old named Simone Tussaud and her infant daughter. Simone had worked as a translator for the Nazis before becoming lovers with one of them and having his baby. She and her baby had been dragged into the public square where her head was shaved and her forehead was branded with an iron cross. Her mother, who also endured the same torture, walks in front of her as Simone and her baby are escorted through jeering mobs to jail. Eight months later, on April 18th, 1945, Robert captured his last iconic World War II photo, the picture of the last man to die. Taken during the Battle of Leipzig, this photo shows American soldier Raymond J. Bowman, who was shot in the forehead by a sniper while reloading his gun. Bowman had been on the balcony of a building that he and his fellow machine gunners had taken over to provide coverage for foot soldiers crossing a bridge below. Kappa had climbed through the balcony window to capture the haunting photo of Bowman's body laying on the floor, a looted Luftwaffe sheepskin wrapped around his head as his fellow soldiers still maintained their vigil on the balcony. This photo was published in Life on May 14, 1945, exactly one week after the surrender of Nazi Germany.
After World War II, in 1947 to be exact, Kappa was awarded the Medal of Freedom by President Eisenhower in appreciation of his photojournalistic coverage of World War II. Kappa took a trip the following year to the Soviet Union with his good friend John Steinbeck. Steinbeck wanted to write about what the USSR was post-World War II, and he wanted Kappa's photography to capture it. So the trip resulted in something called a Russian Journal, which is a collaborative effort between the two. Steinbeck and Kappa would be immensely close until Kappa's death. In 1953, Robert spent some time in Italy photographing the making of the film Beat the Devil alongside Truman Capote, John Huston, and Humphrey Bogart. They became good drinking and poker buddies during their time there. The following year, Life magazine asked Robert to go to Southeast Asia, where France was eight years deep in the first Indochina War. Capo went back on his earlier claim of being done with photographing war zones, and he joined up with a French regiment in the Thai Binh province of northern Vietnam. On May 25, 1954, Capa and the regiment were driving through a dangerous area when Robert decided to jump out of his Jeep and run ahead and photograph the regiment approaching. He began to jog up the side of the road when one foot touched down on a landmine, and Robert was blown apart. His remains were sent back to America, where they were laid to rest at Amawak Hill Cemetery in Westchester County, New York. If you ever find yourself up that way and you want to pay your respects, he is in plot number 189. Robert has been memorialized on stamps and gold coins in Hungary. His brother Cornell founded the International Center for Photography in New York to give Robert's work a permanent home. He is oddly enough the person who coined the term Generation X. In a 1953 article in Holiday Magazine in the U.S., he is quoted as saying, We named this unknown generation the Generation X, and even in our first enthusiasm, we realized that we had something far bigger than our talents and pockets could cope with. Robert is also the inspiration for Jimmy Stewart's character, L.B. Jeffries, in Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. My sources today were Wikipedia, Time Magazine, Douchevelle, and The Guardian. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Robert Kappa. Please join me tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of Gertrude Ederl, the first woman to swim across the English Channel. See you then.